Hello and welcome to Moving Kentucky Forward. I'm Bruce Maples, publisher of Forward Kentucky. Some people do politics as a profession or as a job. Some people do it part-time as a job. And then some people do political work purely out of their passion for it. Dr. Trent Garrison is one of those people. He's a college professor, as he's going to tell you in just a moment. But on the side, he does analysis of elections and registration and voter trends over time, and it's just fascinating work. He does some really great graphs that show all this data, and I love looking at the work he does and learning more about our state and how our voters are voting and so on and so forth. So a few weeks ago, he did a story for us, and as I said, I'm going to link it in the video here in a minute, but I wanted to have him on the show so he could share more graphs with you and so you could see some of his work and learn from the work he's done about some trends in Kentucky voting and voters. So without further ado, let's hear from Dr. Trent Garrison. So we're here today with Dr. Trent Garrison, one of our uh, favorite analysts uh, who does a lot of election stuff and produces these great uh, graphs that I'm going to enjoy learning more about. Uh, Trent, welcome to Moving Kentucky Forward. Thanks, Bruce. It's good to be back. I've not been on in a couple of years and I, you know, I watched the program and you're doing really great stuff. I think you're filling a void that uh, that has has been badly needed. So, you know, keep up the good work. Well, good thank you very much. I'll send you your check later for <laughs> nice words. Um, let's let's first lay some context down. Uh why don't you tell a little bit about yourself and what you do now for a living and where your doctorate is and so on and so forth. Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm a college professor. My, my background is not specifically in political science. My background is, is more in the geosciences. I have a PhD in that, but I, I do enjoy research, uh, whether it's scientific research or political science mm -hmm. research. I did go to Kentucky State University. I, I went to graduate school there for public administration and, and also Harvard for communication. So uh, this is something that I I really have a strong interest in. I think when people find out I'm a geologist, sometimes they're like, why are you doing this? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. It, it is really interesting to me, the, the data side of it more than anything else. So you did a story for us a few weeks ago, which uh, once I edit this, I'll put in a link to it in the video uh, about the impact of did did Kentucky is Kentucky really turning red or is there something else going on? And right. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that story. Can you give us a summary of what you had in that article? Yeah, basically, I just Laurent Vesely and I in 2020. He asked me if I wanted to collaborate on some Google Sheets and a presentation and doing some research that we couldn't find that anybody else had done going back decades, looking at voter registration, looking at specific voter numbers, going back, you know, 10 years, going back 20 years and comparing those and seeing how they change over time. And in 2020, I wrote an article for Perry Bacon Jr., uh, looking at, you know, how the state house races have changed over time. And this was basically revisiting that paper, and uh, I forgot the exact name of it. I have it. I have it pulled up here uh, somewhere. But uh, you know, we we just wanted to look. It, it's called revisiting the direction of Kentucky State House. Did 2022 continue to trend red, 
or did it only appear so due to the redistricting? I think that's basically what, what you said a minute ago. So we looked at uh, registration trends over time. We looked at specific geographic areas, Eastern Kentucky, Western Kentucky, Northern Kentucky, the cities, to see, you know, how those had changed relative to the last election, you know, and something that's been really difficult for me, and this is something I discussed a little bit in the paper, I want to get into a little bit more today, is what's been really difficult for me is to understand just how much of an impact redistricting slash gerrymandering would have on this election, because mm-hmm. When we when we when we uh, did the analysis in 2020, looking back at 20 you know 16 previous presidential elections, previous gubernatorial elections and stuff, we had a baseline for that. You know, we had pretty much an apples to apples comparison because we could compare H HD 88 or you know whatever House District it is to the previous year. Well, this year we couldn't really do that because a certain number, a high percentage of them were changed. Now, not all of them were changed. And I'll show you, you know, some examples of that in, in the end and the the impacts that, that has on um, on, Demo- on how well Democrats perform. But, you know, I just wanted to look at that in, in a little bit more detail. So what conclusion in that article did you come to was, was this, is the state just inexorably on this track to being completely red or did the redistricting sort of skew the results this year? Well, I don't want to give away what I'm going to talk about at the end of this uh, okay. presentation I have, but uh, I have some maps and some charts that that I want to show you before I get into that. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, but just, well, just a little hint, though. Um, I think that the fact that, you know, redistricting occurred and gerrymandering, if you want to use that word, I think we have some evidence here Finally, um, I was, I mean, it took a lot of work. I'll be honest with you. It was, it was a lot of work, especially I didn't have anybody helping me this year. So um, I, I think we have some evidence to show that if redistricting slash gerrymandering hadn't happened this year, then things would not have gone that badly for, for Democrats. Okay. Uh, so just as a reminder to our uh, listeners, this is both a podcast and a video cast. And so obviously the podcast people aren't going to be able to see the graphs that you're about to show. If you want to see them, you can watch the video on YouTube or you can come to the website and in the story where I post the podcast and the video cast, it's one story. I'll include the graphs below that so that people can see them while we're listening, while they're listening to the podcast. So with that, uh, Dr. Garrison, why don't you share away? All right. Well, I appreciate it. I will. I'll go ahead and get started. I'll try to explain this in, a, in at least a little bit of detail for those who, who may be on a podcast. Okay. So the first thing I wanted to revisit was voter Kentucky voter registration over time and refine this a little bit more. I, I, I published this in the first paper years ago. But I couldn't find that anybody <laughs> had produced a graph. I mean, you can go to the Secretary of State's website or Board of Elections. Mm-hmm. And you can find all these data in, uh, I think, starting with Allison Lundgren Grimes years in, in Excel format. Uh, before that's scanned in PDF. So, you know, ba- basically, you know, you have to go in and add it manually to, to create these charts. So I decided to do that and just start keeping track of it on my own. So uh, just looking at this chart, you can see in, anyone who's listening to this or watching this is probably at least a little bit of a political junkie. <laughs> so right. you probably already know if you're listening to this, that Kentucky, at least as far as registration goes on paper, has historically looked blue. 
as far as registration goes. So you can see how Democrats going all the way back to 1980 have uh, have done a better job as far as uh, registration goes in the, in the state compared to Republicans. And they started closing that gap going post-1990 and forward until I think it was July. Don't quote me on that. But this summer, at some point, Republicans finally eclipsed Democrats for the first time, uh, at least in modern history. And uh, I'd been posting these one by one, doing these charts and just kind of listening to what people want on uh, on my Facebook and Twitter. Mm-hmm. And somebody asked me because I, I originally hadn't included independence and other at the bottom. So they, they said, include that. I've heard just, you know, anecdotally that there are a lot of people registering independent these days. It turns out uh, that's really not. The, I thought that might be the case, too, but it's uh, it's there. It's been pretty consistent for the last 20 years or so. You can see right. over there right, the percentages. So I added all that in and. Um, We'll see what happens in the future, but the, the Republicans are trending in, in the right direction for them. The Democrats are you know, slow, starting to slowly taper off a little bit, and independents and others are, are pretty consistent. So I want to ask one question here, if I may. I'm looking at this graph, which is very helpful, by the way. And the even though the Republicans were closing the gap a little bit, in Bush Sr., Clinton, and G.W. Bush, it, it, it wasn't that close. And then when you get to the Obama years, suddenly the Democratic registration just goes flat and the Republican takes off. So without drawing too many conclusions from graphs, because that can be dangerous, is the fact that we had a black president a factor, do you think? Well, I'm not a political analyst. I'm more of a of a science data person. But, you know, the, I think the numbers, if you just look at the the graph and the numbers, something happened there. Yeah. Something happened during the Obama years and, and certainly during the Trump years, as we'll see on the on the graphs coming in the future. Trump, especially for whatever reason that I'll never be able to understand, Trump was able to pull people out who had never voted. And I say that anecdotally because I'd, I've heard it uh, as someone who's worked at the polls for many years. We saw people coming in. They they had no idea how to vote and mm-hmm. uh, that they, they'd never voted. And they said, you know, they came here specifically to vote, vote for Trump. And I know there's been criticism during the Obama years of, you know, not being not reaching out enough to like Kentucky and, and things of that nature as well. But uh, I'll leave it up to others to to make those sorts of, okay. of conclusions. But uh yeah, I mean it, it, it's unfortunate if you're if you're a Democrat looking at this, and you've seen that we've had just such a huge advantage in the past, and it's just you know slowly slipped away over time. Right. Well, the next thing, if you want to move on, the next thing uh, I have here is unopposed, uh, unopposed races. Excuse me, um, state house races, and I think somebody asked me to 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 put this together as well. So. I guess I didn't realize it at the time that this year was we Republicans had more unopposed seats this election cycle in the state house than any time in modern history. Mm-hmm. Forty two at my last count uh, when I when I put this together a few weeks ago. So uh, that's 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 quite a number. Now, I, you know, I, I see things on social media just like everybody does. Certain people blame certain others. You know, there, there, there's 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 plenty of blame to go around for why this is. But, uh, you know, I, I can only speak anecdotally and what I've heard from others is, you know, it's, it's easy for us to say, 
you know, call somebody up in a in a blue city and and run. That's not really, uh, at, perhaps it's not as difficult as it is in rural areas where people feel threatened to put up a sign that's a that's a democratic sign. You know, I've heard mm-hmm. that from a number of people in eastern Kentucky, western Kentucky, and even some parts of northern Kentucky. So I I know that people in grassroots groups, people in parties, county parties, state parties have tried to recruit folks from certain areas, but they've uh, just had a hard time doing so because of how vitriolic the rhetoric has gotten these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, the number of unopposed seats was certainly a strong factor in the whole way the thing went. And yes, we talked a lot about recruiting and there are a number of people who chided me for my attitude that every race should be contested. And they said, look, we can't get people to run in some of these districts because they're even to the point of being scared for their physical safety. So, yeah, I see that. Okay. I guess it doesn't matter what I think, but (laughs) I'll say it anyway. It's, I I have a a hard time balancing this because I, you know, I don't want anybody to feel threatened. Uh, with, with their life and with their family, if if they're going, you know, if they're living in a place where they're going to feel threatened, and you know all these crazy things, you get these messages on on social media, people threatening sure. you, your family, and all that, just because of what they see, they see something in the national news. But at the same time, you know, you can't win a race if you don't if you don't try. And I think sometimes people have the attitude of, if I'm running in a seventy percent Republican county. And it hasn't voted Democrat in 30 years, you know, why waste my time in doing mm-hmm. that? But I think there's some arguments to, to be made. I mean, you can you can gain you can gain good experience. You might get your name out there and end up running for city council. I've seen a lot of people do that. Running for city council, running for school board, get their footing mm-hmm. in a certain race, just learn the system because you know, p- people are needed in public service. Okay. Yeah. So the next one is uh voter turnout, voter turnout by year. And I've tried to I tried to put this all, I tried to figure out the best way to do this. And I, I just decided to put it all on one chart and to color the different years in different right. colors. So in gray, you have the midterm races, uh, which we have in 2022. And by the way, 2022 is an estimate from the Courier Journal because the official resor- results haven't yet been published, at least yesterday when I looked, um, unless you know something I don't. Right. <laughs> so far. The orange is presidential years, which, uh, of course, those years are higher. If, if those on podcasters, it's usually around the 60, maybe a little bit higher than the 60 percent range mm-hmm. uh, as far as voter turnout. And then the, the green is the gubernatorial and other state races, which you know, hover somewhere usually around 40 percent. Some years are lower, a little bit higher than that. But, uh, you know, that, that's what we've seen over time. Now, the voter turnout this year, which is the estimate from the Courier Journal, by the time this is published, maybe the official results will be out. But it looks like right now. You know, this is a pretty low turnout year, uh, which is interesting. It's a midterm year. So, you know, we expect it to not be like a presidential year up in the 60s or, you know, around 60. But 42 percent is the lowest. If that's if that number holds, that will be the lowest midterm we've had in a, since 1994, if my numbers are correct. Uh, yeah, I'm really surprised by that. I thought we were having huge turnout. And I'm just I'm just really surprised. You know, somebody on my uh, social media feed, we were, we were talking about this because, you know, some of the other states like Georgia, Arizona, uh, Michigan, some, you know, some of the more Sweeney states had very high turnout. 
And mm-hmm. I wonder if because Kentucky is wasn't on the map as far, you know, obviously it's not a presidential election year, but if Kentucky, since Kentucky was not on the map, it wasn't in the national spotlight that uh, we didn't have as much turnout as we would have otherwise. That's just a thought that somebody had. Yeah, I don't know. I, like I said, I just, everybody around me was voting. Everybody I knew was voting. Everybody, in fact, I spoke, I'm a, I'm a real political junkie and also somewhat of an activist. And I literally was asking people in checkout lines, are you planning on voting? And almost all of them were like, oh, absolutely. Yes, I'm going to. So this is interesting. Uh, It does interestingly also go with the interview I did last week with Buddy Wheatley about his race and where he had some precincts that had 17% turnout. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's just surprising to me. Okay, so that's yeah, absolutely. Out. I mean, Buddy seems like a, you know a, a very liked guy in that area, and, and I think if it hadn't been yep. for redistricting, he would have probably won easily that race. Yeah, yeah, but I, I'd heard the turnout in that area was low as well for whatever reason. All right, uh, turnout by party. I don't have the updated twenty twenty numbers, but it was requested that I put one of these together, and this basically just gives an idea of the the turnout from the different parties over over the over the years. So if you look at 2020, 52% of Democrats turned out, 64% of Republicans turned out to vote, and 45% of that very small 5%, I think it was, number of independents and other turned out to vote. And you can compare that over time. You can see, of course, the Trump election years, 2020 and 2016, uh, had very high, and, and as did Obama's, uh, election had very high Republican turnout numbers and mm-hmm. you know, they're all 45, uh, you know, uh, reasonably high Democratic numbers and, and independent and other numbers as well. So, okay, hold on a minute. If 64%, okay, never mind. I answer my own question in my head. If 64% of Republicans turned out and 52% of Democrats turned out, how do we get a turnout total of 42%? Uh, but I think I understand that. Yeah, this is, yeah, I see what you're saying. When I, I yeah, I, I thought maybe when you saw this, you might think it needs to add up to 100 or something like that. But no. but this this is of the Democrats. So 52% of registered Democrats ter- turned up to vote. 64% right. of registered Republicans turned out to vote. And 45% of the independents and other turned out to vote. So because we now have less Democrats registered than Republicans, uh our turnout has to be much higher to have a real shot. So another thing I, I, I posted, the, I, I like maps and I, I created this. There's a website. I can um, send it to you later if you're, if you're, if you want to know, I can't remember the name of it right off, but there's a, there's a website out there where you can create your own maps. And this is like mm-hmm. GIS, but it's, it's much simpler than that. And um, I wanted to look at current voter registration per the most recent update in the Secretary of State's office. And the most recent update, as at the time of this recording at least, is in October of 2022. So if you look at the current registration of Democrat versus Republican, I color-coded each county. And what you'll notice is there's still quite a few counties in eastern Kentucky that are hardcore registered Democrat, mm-hmm. but they certainly don't vote that way. You know, Floyd County is, has has been known for a long time to be a heavily Democratic county. Uh, Perry County is a pretty heavily Democratic county. 
um, you know, Elliot, Bath, Morgan, Rowan, uh, some of the others in that region. But, you know, since uh, post-Obama years and especially Trump years, they voted heavily Republican, even so. So a lot of people, at least on the national level and uh, to some degree on the state level, cross party lines to vote Republican. How did they vote for local races? You know, I've been there's there's lots of good conversation on this. And um, I think I quoted one a couple people in the paper and um, somebody said, I can confirm this. I think it was uh, I think it was from Logan County uh, down here in South Central, kind of Western Kentucky, said that I can confirm this. Everybody I know in my family and friends are registered Democrat, but they all watch Fox News and Tucker Carlson and all that. And they vote straight Republican on the national level. But they will vote for like if they know somebody close to them running for magistrate or mayor, you know, something on that level, sheriff, they'll vote Democrat mm. because they feel like, oh, I know that person. You know, they're they're not the bad, evil <laughs> Democrats that I hear about on Fox News. So I'll vote for them. They're not really like them, you know. So I think the closer the race is to home, the more likely it folks are to do that. I'm from Leslie County. It's the reddest state in the in, reddest county in the entire state in the last two elections, 90% Republican. And uh or at least it was the last time I looked. And we we have people we have Democrats that run on the local level. We have a Democratic uh I, maybe I shouldn't say this. They're re- they're registered Republican they're all registered Republican because they have to be. But they're all you know, moderates or, or liberals, uh, who people who work in the city of a lot of people who work in the city of Hyden work for government and such. They're they're really Democrats, but mm-hmm. uh, they they wouldn't dare put their name out there. And I assume that's the way it is in in, in some of these other counties. Okay, wow, that's just anecdotal, of course, right? But anecdotes are worth something from time to time. I think. Yep. All right. This this one is this one's a little bit controversial. So I put this out there and I got some blowback and I and I totally understand why. So uh, j- just to al- allow me a minute to try to explain this. So what I tried to do with this is uh, first of all, let me back up. This is looking back over 10 years. If you add up all the co- contested races of Democrats in public, Democrats and Republicans in all the state races. You take out the independents, you take out the others. This is just Democrats, just Republicans in contested House races. So you take out the unopposed races as well. Yes, yes. These are just just contested races. And the reason I did that, I I also did all of them, but I I didn't really feel like that was valuable data because it varies so much from year to year. So I, I decided to compare just contested races. And, you know, 2020, there's a lot of caveats here because 2022, we had so many uncontested races. So we're, we're, we're choosing from a small data pool there, but even so, I think it's at least a little bit valuable. It's at least points us in the right direction. And what you can see, if you look from 2020 to 2022, is that, uh, you know, Democrats actually did a little bit better as some people had predicted because Trump wasn't on the ballot. If you look at it in with just these lens. Now, what I want to do, and I haven't had time to do it yet, is I want to find the state house districts that 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 haven't been gerrymandered, that haven't changed much at all, maybe less than 10 percent. And I want to compare them to the previous races and to see how they've changed. I, I did that at the end of this. I took a few 
and we'll look at those. And they right. they didn't change at all. I mean, it was pretty much the exact same uh, percentage. And we'll 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 take a look at those toward the end of this. But I think that's probably the the apples to apples as close as you can get comparing sure. you know comparing those sets of data. So you know, take this one with a grain of salt. But I think a number of people predicted and thought that Democrats might do at least hold their own this year. Um, because we lost Democrats lost a number of, of seats in 2020 that they felt that, you know, they, they could have held back then. And they thought that in 2022 midterm, not as much, you know, no president at the top of the ticket. They might be able to pick some of those up. But right. due to redistricting, gerrymandering, that threw a huge wrench in things. This is from the paper. Just uh, just some data points on th- these are the 20 or so closest races over the last 10 years. And I've color-coded them based upon whether they vote Democrat or Republican over time. And you can see some of these seats, some of these uh, seats like Jeffrey Donahue, for example. He'd been there quite a while in his seat in in the in Louisville in Jefferson County. And of course, that one was massively redistricted in a different area. So he went from winning by about nine to losing by sixteen mm-hmm. for a shift and a and a seat loss. And, uh, you know, you can just we can just go down the list. But Angie Hatton, I mean, she'd been uncontested uh, for four out of the last uh, six years, six election cycles. And she ended up losing by 14 because her, you know, her district was changed substantially as well. I won't go through through the whole list, but, uh, you know, I think it just paints a picture to be able to look at the blue and see how it turns red over time and especially how it turns red over time in 2022 with regard to these closest seats and how, you know, if we did an analysis on each one of these, that uh, redistricting probably had an, uh, had an impact on that. Mm-hmm. Wow. And what's, and there were some in that list that are a shock. I mean, yeah. Uh, Angie Hatton being one of them, Jeff Donahue, another one. Um, yeah. There's, there's two or three of those that you looked at and you thought, uh, Buddy Wheatley being another one. Buddy Wheatley, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even the ones, even the ones that won comfortably or relatively comfortably, you can see the trend going the other way. Like Al Gentry. Yeah, yeah. In a lot of cases, that's that's hmm. true. And that's a Louisville seat to boot. Take a look at this slide, though. This is an interesting one where we have Democrats that have a huge, in some case, registration advantage, but the Republican wins by a large margin. So the best example of this is House District 84 going down 99, 92, and so forth and so on. They have a 25% plus Democratic, Democratic registration advantage, but the Republicans are either unopposed or they're you know winning by 20 or 30 points. Yeah. And the question that has been raised is, you know, if you had a good Democrat running in these areas, what, what's a good Democrat? You know, we, we could talk about that a whole episode. But if you had someone with whatever it takes to win, I don't know what that I don't know what that is. But, you know, name recognition, money, whatever, somebody likable. If you had somebody run in these areas, could they win? And the answer that. The answer that uh, people on Twitter came to was probably not uh, in in areas where they're winning by this much because in 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 these areas specifically, people are voting 
uh, like Democrat means nothing to them as far as their registration. They just never changed it. And I thought that at some point we would bottom out, you know, during the Trump years, during the Obama years or whatever. And people would, when they went to vote, they would change their registration. But a lot of people just, they just never get around to it. And they still haven't gotten around to changing the mm-hmm. registration. Yep. They never vote Democrat on the state or national level. They just, uh, they always vote Republican, but they, they just never bothered to go get their registration changed. So at least in these districts and maybe across the state, registration really doesn't mean anything. That's what a lot of people say. Yes. Hmm. I wow. mean, I think it means something in, in, in some situations in some places more than others in in my circle and in, in lexington and some parts of louisville at least and some parts of northern kentucky and maybe frankfurt the i think the voter registration mirrors what what the results are more closely certainly than in than some of these these areas on the screen right now mm-hmm. yeah i actually tried to make a map of that of the divergence from voter registration to how they actually vote. And it's really difficult to do because you, you basically have to make your own map of house districts because the right. house districts are so messed up and it, you know, have to start all from scratch. And uh, I just don't have the time to do that, but I'm sure somebody out there will eventually do it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I did make one by County uh, that I can pull up if you want to, at the end, if we have time. And okay. uh, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. So are there places where Democrats did better? And the answer to that is yes. There are some bright spots for Democrats this year. And uh, these are the four specifically. Josie Raymond, seat 41. Sherilyn Stevenson, 88. Uh, Rachel Roberts, even though there's a little bit of gerrymandering there. And uh, George Brown in Lexington. You can see their their Democratic registration advantage here in this column. And their win percentage for a total overall performance plus of, you know, five all the way up or four all the way up to 12. And one in particular that's really interesting is looking at Sherilyn Stevenson's. Oh, yes. How how that one was changed. Of course, 93 um, here in Lexington as well. Lamine Swans, that was taken from southeastern Kentucky, moved to Lexington, ninth third district, which ended up benefiting Democrats. But that was a that's a whole different story. But if you look at Sherilyn's, you know, she She's known to have a good ground, a really good ground game, a, a team that uh, just knocks on tremendous number of doors. Yep. And she had become, you know, a well-known, well-respected, well-liked person in this house district. And then, boom, they moved her almost completely to the north side of Lexington. And um, lo and behold, she came out in a Republican plus four district. She ended up winning by 30, I believe it was 35 votes. Yeah. So perhaps a model for uh, for what other close races can do. So we did a story. I interviewed her three weeks ago yes. and we talked about this and how she was able to do it. And we talked about the fact that it was obvious. I mean, it was so obvious that Republicans intentionally redistricted out Democratic women. That's what they were going for, was getting rid of all the Democratic women. And they succeeded in a number of places. And they almost succeeded with Shirley Stevenson, except she basically said, fine, you're going to give me this lemon. I'm going to make lemonade and I'm going to beat you. And she did. And and that was exciting. I, I was glad to see that. She and her team, I think she said 24,000 doors they knocked on. So, yeah, they yeah. killed it. I mean, there's 
I drove up that way. There are billboards and, you know, people always out knocking. Yeah, they, they yeah. have quite the team. What about areas that had no change? I found two seats specifically. I, I, I'm going to have to go back and spend a lot of time on this if I can find time or, you know, get some help. But I found two seats that were basically unchanged. I looked at House District 53, which is Ashley Tackett Lafferty in southeastern Kentucky. There are a few little small areas. If you look very closely like this on the far left, that little thing sticking out, you know, a few little minor changes, but it's basically the same. House District 95, James Tipton, this little weird shape here, but it's, you know, basically the same area. Areas that didn't change much had a an, an overall voter change from 20 to 20 to 2022 of zero, just a few votes. So it makes me wonder, you know, if uh, if this, again, if this redistricting hadn't happened, would it have been a wash or would have Democrats have even picked up a seat or two? Yep. We'll never know that, I guess, and, and, unless the Supreme Court takes it up and we see new maps in 2024 and see what happens. But uh, that's a question that I, I would, that I, that I, and I'm sure you and, and many others have been pondering what would have happened if, if redistricting hadn't occurred and what will happen if it's thrown out. I mean, that's still a possibility still could be thrown out and depending on what happens with the, with this as we move forward. A lot of people would, the the question on their mind would be what can Democrats do to take back the majority in the house or the Senate? That's not my question. Uh, my question is what can they do to take back enough seats to take away the Republican supermajority? Uh, can we just get it to where it's not that? I think that's interesting. The your uh, your analysis. I hope that the lawyers working on the redistricting case call on you to share some of this because I think it's fascinating. Uh, it was obvious to most of us that even though the state may be trending red or probably is trend trending red, the redistricting made a big difference. And uh, it was obvious. And like I said, uh, it was obvious that they were trying to sp specifically get rid of Democratic women and they succeeded, you know, and they can talk about math all they want. I remember uh, David Osborne saying, well, it's just math. Well, you know, you can use just math to do just about anything if you want to mess around with the maps that way. So, yeah. Dr. Garrison, thank you so much for all of this information. I think it's fascinating. Uh, we will put the maps your or your slide deck, however you want to do it, uh, up on the site. So let me ask you this. We've, we've gone through all this data, uh, and you're a data scientist and not a political consultant. <laughs> but let me ask you what conclusions you came to looking at all this and if you were a political consultant, is there anything you can draw from this that would be a guide to the future? So what are your conclusions and what should we do about them? I think by looking at these charts and data and maps that we have, we've seen enough at this point, as they say, I've seen enough on Twitter. Right. I think I've seen enough at this point to conclude that 2022 would have gone differently if redistricting hadn't occurred. I'm not really in a in a position at this point to try to guess because I haven't looked at those apples to apples comparisons uh, of exactly how many seats we would have kept 
But um, I certainly think it would not have been five a loss of five more seats. I, I think we can comfortably say that. Um, I think the best thing that could happen if you're a Democrat is hoping that the, that the redistricting lawsuit uh, goes the, goes the way of the Democrats. I don't know what the present chance of that happening is, but that would certainly be something that would be immediately beneficial. That's of course out of the hands of of most people. Um, as as far as as far as what to do, like I said, you know, I'm not a political consultant, but I can't help but say. You know, if folks were to follow Sherilyn Stevenson's ground game and, you know, do all the things that she's doing, not to say that there are, I mean, there are other people out there doing that. I'm just more familiar with her because she lives, you know, her district is, you know, right outside of mine. So uh, I'm familiar and I've worked with them in, on different things in the past. So I'm familiar with their, with their ground game, with how many doors they knock, with, with just how busy they stay and how, uh, you know, she's always reaching out to people. So I think that's, that's kind of a model. Now, if you're in a, 70% Republican district, you know, um, there's only so much you can do, but <laughs> it's, it's worth trying, especially, you know, if, even if it's getting your name out there, but if you're within, you know, if you're within 15 or 20 points, I think it's definitely worth putting your name out there and, and giving it a shot. I think the other thing, and this, uh, this is a broken record for me, so I have to be careful. I think the other thing is having local county parties or the state party or somebody be doing recruiting, not necessarily with the idea that you're going to win this race, but that you're going to get some experience. And then we're going to run you for school board or, or county commission or something. And you build up a reputation, like you said, of somebody, well, even though he's a Democrat, he's OK, or she she's all right, I can vote for her. And you eventually get to where people trust you, not because of your the letter after your name, but because of who you are and the service you've done. And yeah. I, I think that we wait until the last minute and then recruit for the big races. And what we should be doing is recruiting for the smaller races and grooming those people and then and then enlisting them like two years before. Right now, we should be looking for people for 2024 for the state house. So... That's, yeah, that's, absolutely. And, you know, there's a, a number of people who ran for the first time and I got I got to know them just by, you know, going and listening to them talk and that sort of thing, who I think have the potential to be really good. I won't mention any names here, uh, but who I think have the potential to be really good candidates. It's mm -hmm. just, you know, finding the right time and the right seat for those people. Like you said, you're not always going to win on your first time. Uh, and I think they realize that. But yeah. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It might be a school board seat. It might be city council. It might be, you know, a soil and water supervisor, whatever right. that is. Exactly. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. You got you to start somewhere. And there's there's always a need for public servants out there yes. to serve their community and their state and, and everything. So hopefully some of this apathy that we've seen will uh, will, will go away the next time around. Let's hope. Right. Thank you, Trent Garrison, for your information and sharing your uh, very interesting graphs. Uh, they will be on the website under the uh, video and the audio. And happy holidays to you, Mr. Garrison. You too, sir. I appreciate it. Thought I'd put on my hat for uh, for the good cheer of the holiday season right before we abscond. So I appreciate you having me on, and I will see you next time. 
That was Dr. Trent Garrison sharing with us some of his research and analysis and especially the graphs he did of all this data about voting and registration and trends over time. I found it really interesting. I hope you did too. And you can be sure to check out the graphs on the website under the uh, in the post. I'd like to mention before I leave that we are having a sale right now on membership. And what does that get you? Well, with the General Assembly coming, if you sign up at the partner level during the sale, you can get the daily update. We mail out an update every morning on what happened the day before in Frankfurt to keep you up to speed. There are other things we have like a bill tracker where you can track the bills you want to track and find out how they're moving and many other things, plus, of course, all the content on the site. If you're interested in that, go to the site and at the very top, there's a link to the sale page and you can sign up there. Thanks for being with us today and we'll see you next week.